how did we get into this mess? I mean, mankind. We are all human and yet we treat each other like we're aliens come to Earth to conquer it. In this video, we're going to take a deeper dive into mankind's creation and specifically God's intention in creating mankind, how mankind has failed to live up into that creative or unto that creative intention and what God has and is doing to get us back to that place of creative intent. If this is the first time we're meeting, my name is Chris and this is Foundation Bible Studies where I seek to help connect you with your creator in Jesus Christ, both informationally and experientially to help you fulfill the purpose that you were created for. Now we are in a series, the Search for Truth 2 series, and it is a resource I will link down below as well as any mentioned resources, I'll link them down below. Some will be affiliate links but we have been going through the bible looking at it from uh some surface archaeological scientific perspective and now we are getting into the bible itself and this is really a beginner's lesson or bible study where we go from genesis to revelation and through it we will mention historical points current topics and then things that are going to happen in the future we're relevant if you like such content i ask that you would give it a thumbs up subscribe you could check out the audio version or the video version depending on which version you're partaking of and with that let's get into the content so we have been going through the search for truth bible study series and this is still part of lesson two but this is chart four and in request of a poll i did where I got the input of viewers that wanted deeper dives into these lessons versus going through each lesson and kind of just skimming the surface. Uh, so we're, we're taking this at a much slower pace than usual, but with it, you can go back, you can watch, you can listen, and you can get out of it uh, all that you want to and preferably all that God desires you to. And so in the last lesson, we covered God's creative process, um, how he created everything. And we we just showed and tried to bring out what I like to call uh, or perhaps I got it from Judaism because I love to study the Jewish roots of Christianity is such a beautiful connection. And so you'll hear me make those connections a lot of times. Um, and so what what are called the pearls of <clears throat> God's word? And uh, just making some of those connections, I encourage you to go back, check it out. I'll link it down below as well. Um, and in some of these points, I'm going, we're going to go through when we talk about the fall of mankind uh, into sin, the degradation, uh, the degrading of mankind into a state of error, or what we say in biblical terms, the fall of mankind into sin. We're going to get into some points that I will link to the video and the lesson before the last one, which talked about the creation of Lucifer, God's creation of Lucifer and Lucifer's uh, fall or uh, his degradation or his degrading into a state of sin and rebellion, a state of error and rebellion from how God originally created him. It was a willful choice. God did not create satan to be an evil being he created him to be one of uh one of god's top 
protectors, so to say, one of God's like, um, what we might say, archangels sometimes. And so I'll reference that video and reference points made in that video. If you haven't checked it out, check it out, uh, check those videos out and then come back to this one and you'll be able to get a more complete picture. So first dispensation. Now, when it comes to dispensations, dispensations are a way that teachers, uh, pastors, um, theologians, people that study God's word, it's, it's a way that people have categorized different ages and different ways God has worked uh, that patterns or, or you kind of say sections or however, but they call them dispensations. And so the first dispensation is called the dispensation of innocence. Um, and I'll, I'll use the word loosely dispensation. I'm not a complete dispensationalist. If you're familiar with that terminology and the concept behind it, I'm more of a covenantalist, perhaps, uh, where I look at how God has worked off of uh, covenants, which are sacred agreements between covenants could be between other people, uh, people groups such as tribes, which was the, some of the main ways covenants were put into place, or sometimes between um, kings and tribes or kings and people of the land. And then, as we'll see within the scriptures, which is not uh, which is not only found in the scriptures, the Holy Bible, but between tribes and their gods. And so the first dispensation, which is a term to designate kind of a time frame and the way God worked within that time frame, is called the dispensation of innocence. And what that what that is implying or what that is trying to communicate is that, it is the time when the first humans, Adam and Eve, were they were in a state of perfection. They had no uh, inclination towards rebellion or uh, no no desire to do what was wrong. That actual the desire to do what was wrong was actually solicited, as we're going to find out by another being. Uh, perhaps you're kind of familiar with the story in general, but we'll go through it and kind of lay it out just so you have a, a clear and accurate understanding of how uh, this whole episode of mankind came about. So the first dispensation is innocence. Innocence, just like with uh, children, uh, toddlers that are very innocent. And I I'm just thinking of where our uh, American society is and in regards to how it's treating its children and manipulating children in our day. Very uh, frustrating, very, yeah, very frustrating, heartbreaking. Um, but like toddlers, like babies, young children, innocent, uh, pure hearted. Um, there was no, there was no right or wrong. Uh, there was no desire to do what's wrong. In, in them, this is a state of perfection, no flaws, anything like that. And so we find this episode or we find a deeper dive into this in the book of Genesis chapter 2, where we start to get specific details about how God created mankind. In the last lesson, we looked at the creation of everything overall. And in this lesson or this chart in this episode, we're we're zeroing in on the creation of mankind because mankind 
if creation was a <clears throat> a Sunday, a, a hot fudge Sunday, mankind was the cherry on top or whatever that is for you. Perhaps you're into cars and you get that you perhaps you restore a car and and you restore it, you get the paint job done, whatever that that ideal paint job is, and perhaps you put a clear coat and everything and the clear coat for you, even though the package is all put together, once you get that clear coat on, I, I like cars, especially uh, foreign cars. I'm not too much of a, an, an Americana in that regard. I like the foreign cars. Um, but perhaps you, you put the car together, you get it running, and the last thing you got to do is get the paint job done. And the last thing they got to do with the paint job is get that clear coat on. Perhaps it's like a, a some of the... American cars I I do like are kind of some old school. I grew up around gangster rap, and I think of the Lowriders, the Chevys, the Impalas, and things like that. And I can just remember some of the just the paint jobs, and and then those who have uh, still to this day have some of those Lowriders. Thankfully, hopefully, they're not still in those that gang life, but they keep that that candy paint nice and shiny, and and so mankind was kind of like that that the uh clear coat that that just made everything just bling uh they were the crown jewel of creation because mankind unlike any other creature was created in god's image we were to be what god is on a much smaller scale we were supposed to be just like his children my my youngest son he 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 looks just like me and so he he has a lot of the same faculties a lot of same abilities um but he also has a lot of the abilities of my wife and uh demeanor and uh things like that and so mankind male and female we um together and yet separately god split his attributes between male and female and uh we were to be his representatives and yet uh, on the earth and yet, uh, and we were also to turn back to have relationships with one another, not just the physical aspect, but, you know, good relationships and friendships, as well as to have a relationship with our creator. We were in that state of perfection. Um, connecting with God was literally just as natural as breathing, which you will see if you read through uh, the book of Genesis chapters two and chapters three. And we'll kind of hit on some of it in this video as well. So Adam and Eve are created in innocence and God places them within the what is called the Garden of Eden. And Eden means delightful, pleasant. It was a delightful place. It was a pleasant place. Um, and we don't necessarily know if the whole world mirrored Eden at this time. Um, one of the things that comes to mind, actually, as uh, as we're going through this is that uh, Eden could have been like a test grounds, which it really was. It was a test ground. But what comes to mind is when uh, God created everything, he creates things from nothing. He is literally able to create something like if I was I'm not obviously not God. But if you're seeing on the video, I have an open hand and I'll try to describe this if you're listening on the audio. I have an open hand and God was able, if I was able to say, let there be an apple 
God from nothing in the middle of my hand, God would have been able to say, let there be an apple and poof, there would have been an apple right in the middle of my hand from nothing. He was able to bring forth substance. He was able to bring into existence substance and things and beings. And when you really dig into the scriptures, you get to see uh, he create as he's creating uh, matter, as he's creating water, as he creates land, he is creating the beings that live in those domains. Uh, he is creating them from the substance of those domains. So you get into chapter two of uh, Genesis, you find that God, when he when he says or expresses the desire for there to be animals, you find in chapter two of Genesis that the material that the animals were made out of, that God made them from the materials of the ground. So he says, you know, let there be reptiles, let there be the beasts of the earth. But as he's expressing that desire, the matter that is there already, the land, he creates the animals from the land. And so uh, you find that in chapter two. Um, if you go through and you read that, and then he creates the physical body of mankind, our physical bodies, he creates our bodies from the earth as well. And so he shapes and forms our bodies, which our bodies, which we're going to get into as well. Our bodies are the houses for our spirits. Our spirit is of the same nature, the same essence as God. God is a spirit it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and the spirit of god verse 2 of genesis and the spirit of god moved upon the face or the surface of the waters and then jesus christ himself being the son or the offspring of our creator through the virgin mary he tells uh he is teaching and he tells uh, this Samaritan woman, this woman from Samaria, he tells her, he says, God is a spirit. And those who worship God, those who are dedicated to God, must worship God in spirit. You must be able to connect with God on that supernatural experiential level. He says, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. The truth being what God has said, God's word, which Jesus spells out in uh, later on in that same accounting, the Gospel of John, chapter seventeen, verse seventeen. Actually, he says, "Set he he." Jesus is praying as a human. He's praying to uh, to the divine spirit, to his Father, and he says, uh, "Set them apart, sanctify them, set them apart with your truth. Your word is." truth. And so God creates mankind's body, this this shell, he creates mankind's body from the ground just like he creates the body of the animals from the ground. And then he creates our spirit from himself. He he we are part of him and that's how we can uh connect with him and the other supernatural beings, the other uh, what we might call angels or the other supernatural beings. And there are other, there are classes of these supernatural beings. When the original Hebrew was translated into Greek from the Old Testament or what we call the Old Testament of the Bible, uh, there was a general term that was used 
uh, to try to convey in the Greek the idea of supernatural beings, which were angels or angelos or agalos, one of the two, angelos or agalos. And it was it was a very generic term. And so that's where we get the word angels. And it's not the, the cute little fat, chubby cheeked baby looking things. These beings are have different classes. There are cherubim and there are seraphim. There are wheels. There are messengers, melachim, as it's called in the Hebrew. There are the cherubim or the cherubim and the seraphim. And so these are, at the very least, three different classes of these supernatural beings. Uh, the ones that we understand typically as angels, like Michael the Archangel, Gabriel, these are messengers, people that come deliver messages. And then when you see God show up at other times, there are what are called the, the cherubim or the, the cherubim. And these are kind of like God's entourage. Uh, you see this in Ezekiel chapters 1, chapter 2. You see this also in Revelation chapter like uh, 4, chapter 5, and kind of throughout the rest uh, of Revelation in different places. And then you see the seraphim, seraphim or seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6. And these are kind of like the, the angels that are in the, the heavenly temple, the supernatural temple in the where God, where the original pattern for the temple is. And so you see at least these three different classes of supernatural beings, which is mirrored in, in Satan's kingdom because he took, he had one third of the angels that rebelled with him aside from subsequent rebellions. And you can probably find these same classes of different types of supernatural beings, which like I say, angels is a very generic term. You find these classes of supernatural beings um, on his side as well. And we don't know how many there are. It just says that he took one third of the angels in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, he got one third to rebel with him. You can check out my video on that, the origin of Lucifer. There's kind of two, two versions. Uh, there's the version that goes along with this study, and then there's an independent version as well. I will uh, do my best to remember to link that down below in the description. So anyway, lots of information. Um, so God creates Adam and Eve, places them in the Garden of Eden. This is a testing ground um, to see if they're going to stick with what God says, or at this point, Lucifer had already rebelled with that. Adam and Eve had to be able to express their free will. Were they going to stick with what God says or were they going to listen to what the rebel said, which they did not necessarily know there was a rebel, but God had already informed Adam in the day that you eat of this tree, what's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God was already giving them a heads up. He was already trying to give them insight into, hey, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And it wasn't necessarily initially, as we're going to find out, a physical death. But it was a disconnection, a death in that regard. It's like if my computer, if I unplug it from the power source, it's going to die. Flat, flat line. You're, everything's going to shut off. The camera's going to shut off. It's going gonna, it's gonna to die. And so that's what, when you talk about that initial death, as we're going to cover, uh, God said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. And so uh, God was giving 
Adam a heads up, which you find out um, by deductive methods or kind of seeing, okay, God told Adam. And then when Eve gets tempted and I'm jumping ahead, uh, she's able to repeat this commandment of God. So Adam must have told Eve because Eve was not yet in existence when God told Adam. So God places them in the Garden of Eden and he places God places two trees in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then there was also a tree called the tree of life. And so God was God invested so much within, say, Adam specifically before Eve came into existence, before God created Eve. Adam uh, named all the animals that God presented before him. Now, when we look at Adam and we look at the animals and we look at the creation story, God creates these kinds or these families of animals. And I will link some uh, scientific creationist perspective videos down below their channels that get way more into that aspect of uh, science of these families of animals. But just kind of an example, you have cats. Um, or felines, uh, I'm sure there are more science, more scientific names, Latin-based names, Greek-based names, but just say the cats, right? The cat family or the feline family. You have the big cats and you have the small cats. You have these initial, perhaps they were lions or whatever the initial cats were. Perhaps he made a uh, family or cat parents were. They were probably big felines because, as I have learned, you can. When you have characteristics, genetic characteristics, the only things you can unfortunately add to genetics are like degradations. You cannot add new information, but information can be removed from genetic codes. But once it's removed, you cannot add it back. Point being, if you start with a big cat or if you start with a small cat, you can't go from a small cat to a big cat. But if you start with a big cat, you can, you know, Breeders know this. You can crossbreed and you can take those big cats. And if they have, maybe there's two that are, or you, you, you go through space and time and you get the smaller offspring and then you mate those together. Their offspring, their genetic material are probably more than likely going to produce offspring that are at the biggest, probably the same size as the parents, but then they're going to produce smaller offspring. And so just through that breeding process. And we see this with dogs and different animals. You're able to breed animals, breed certain characteristics out of a family. Um, and the only way you can breed certain characteristics into a family is by bringing in a another family member of that same kind who has the characteristic that you want. So that's really the only way you can breed it in if that's what you're trying to do. But most times you're trying to breed certain things out of uh, a family and if you can breed it out then there's no way to put it back in naturally unless you bring in uh, something of the same kind or same family that has that characteristic that you want so adam is able to name all the animals and um and so adam is doing the same thing that god did in part not in full but in part god uses his word to to express power and authority. And so God invests that same power or similar power and authority into mankind, specifically into Adam. He's able to name the animal kingdom, name the animals. 
specifically the land animals that it names the the sea animals may have come at a later time as far as naming them but in talking about god creating adam and putting him in the garden and that first commandment let us look at the scriptures themselves genesis chapter 2 starting at verse 15 and it says starting at verse 15 the lord god took the man and placed him in the garden of eden to work it and watch over it and the lord god commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so we see God give that commandment at, at this point. And uh, if you are unfamiliar and I need to make a video about it, I guess kind of an informative video, but I hold a bachelor's of sci or of a bachelor's of psychology as well as i have been working within the mental health field since 2015 2015 and with that um and i've been i've i've been kind of in love with the field of psychology uh with psychology since my senior year in high school uh 2002 2003 but um when you look at a when you look at the scriptures from a psychological perspective and and when i when i say that i don't mean that looking at the scriptures through psychology outside of god but allowing god to help us to see for those of us who have these different fields of reference uh, or views of reference is allowing god to help us to understand that the study of psychology originates with him first and foremost, because he's the one who created the mind. He's the one who created people. He's the one who created personalities and human beings. Not talking about the degradation, not talking about the the things that came due to sin, due to the condition of sin, due to the nature of sin. Not talking about uh, personality disorders, not talking about mental illness in those regards, not talking about um chromosomal deformities where uh, people have a development of disabilities that comes due to uh degradation from the nature and the condition of sin uh much like um people that unfortunately uh, are drug addicts and the drugs start to wear down their bodies that's what sin has done to mankind and how that how the nature and condition of sin uh, manifests, how it how it expresses itself in each and every one of us individually can be different. It can be similar within families, uh, nuclear families, larger larger picture families, the extended family. But uh, when you look at this from a kind of a psycho psychological perspective, I I've really learned to appreciate this as well. Is that here when you look at like kids, kids, children, toddlers, up to a certain point, which we'll talk about in future videos and psychology and child development and uh, parenting uh, with those principles in mind, is that you give children solid black and white principles. That's what their brain can handle up to a certain point till they hit higher, uh, till their brain starts developing to process higher. Um, dimensions or principles of thinking and so uh with 
Adam, he gave him a black and white commandment. Mankind is in it in its infancy, it's in its toddlership, perhaps. And toddlers need black and white. They don't need a big speech. They just need you. Their brains can handle this, yes, this, no. This good, this bad. This do, this don't do. And so you kind of see this uh, play out from Genesis to Revelation, where God is taking mankind from its infantship, toddlership, all the way to its maturity to where, especially under the new covenant, you see God and Jesus Christ say, I know you heard this, but now I'm telling you this. I, I know you said, uh, I know you heard, you, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But now I'm telling you, even if you commit, if you lust after a woman, you're committing adultery in your heart. So God is saying, I know when you were children and toddlers, I gave you black and white commandments, do this, don't do this. But now I'm, you guys are getting to a place where I need you to mature and I need you to go deeper. I need you to think about the abstract. I need you to be uh, conscious of the abstract. And so when it comes to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, mankind is in its uh, infancy. Not that they were physically infants or toddlers, things like that, but just talking about uh, just over the, the ages. And so God says, don't eat from it. And, and it's just like if uh, when my youngest son, when he was a toddler and he started getting around, he started trying to mess with the electrical outlets. And so I would physically redirect him, pick him up, move him, and I would verbally say, no, don't touch. And my youngest son, he was just, he was just one of those kids um, where he would wait and so he thought I was out the room or wasn't paying attention. And he would find his little self trying to go back to the little plug, the outlet, and try to pull something out the outlet. And I would have to redirect him. No, you know. And so until um, he went back a third time and then I had to give him correction that uh, drove the point home. And so why did I do that? Because one, if I allow my kid to do what he thinks is, you know, in that frame of mind, I get their toddlers, their brains are firing and all those things. But that's one of those things that could potentially kill my son. So what do I do? I correct him and tell him no. Um, granted, like I said, this is just kind of principally comparisons. And so God tells him, don't eat from the tree. You're going to die. Don't pull the plug. You're going to die. Don't don't mess with electrical things. You can die. If you don't know how to mess with it, don't mess with it. You're going to die. So God tells Adam, uh, the day that you surely eat of it, Genesis 2.17 here on the chart, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not or you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So all Adam had to do was listen to the commandment, listen to his father. Listen to the one who created him, his father. And so um, that was the one commandment that he had to listen to. Now, in talking about just uh, looking at mankind, not from the degraded point, this, once the sinful nature takes hold, um, but looking at mankind from the cherry on top perspective. Um, this is what King David, uh, who wrote many of much of the book of Psalms, or quite a bit of it. This is what he says in Psalm 8, starting in verse 1. It says, Yahweh, our Lord, or some translations, Lord, O Lord, our Lord, 
How magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, and this is talking about, this is imagining God uh, using human terms, you know, we shape things with our hands. And so this is what's called anthropomorphisms. You're ascribing to God human characteristics or traits, yet knowing that they don't equally apply. You're, you're talking in a way that other people can understand. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the things you shape, the things you molded with your hands, you, you build things with your hands, especially in more primitive times, as we might think, the moon and the stars which you have ordained or appointed. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. And you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Talking about that place of authority. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Even before we knew there were ocean currents, God's people, based on what God had informed us, uh, informed the, the Israeli people, the Israelites, they knew there were sea currents that path that passed through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And so as we look at mankind and look at how God intentionally created us, uh, created mankind, we see that mankind has an honored place within God's creation, especially when we, and that that's, you look at Psalms like that, you look at uh, how God honors mankind, it's because we were originally created to be that reflection of God to in this physical domain. And so praises and and Things like that, such as in Psalm 8, those are for when mankind is in that state of uh, accomplishing the purpose and God's creative intention. Much like when you you buy a car, um, perhaps it's brand new, perhaps it's a new used car, new to you, but it's used and it's running on all cylinders. Perhaps it's like your ideal car um, and it's running good and you're like, man, I love this car. This thing is, you know, maybe it's, Maybe it's a Mustang or maybe it's a luxury car. So if it's like a Mustang or one of the muscle cars, perhaps it's, you know, a V6, a V8. And, you know, it just has that punch, has that power. And you're just you're in love with it. Or perhaps it's something a little more luxury, perhaps. And and the drive is smooth, like you don't feel really the bumps and the potholes because the ride is so smooth. And you're just like, man, I, this thing handles like a dream, you know. And so. In that similar vein, when mankind is, when we're living up to that, and, and not in this, not that we have to be perfect in this current condition of being, uh, this current condition of sin or having this current condition of sin, but God praises those whose lives honor him the way we were meant to honor him, the way we were meant to reflect who he is and what he is in character. And so that's kind of what you see. In uh in Psalm eight, we were created 
to be honored by our creator as we in turn honor our creator. Uh, you know, I turn around and as I'm older now, a little bit older, I know I don't look it, but I will, uh, I'm in my going into or in my late 30s now. Um, served in the military, got out after about nine years. Um, and that's when I got into the mental health field. And so, you know, what my mom came, came into life uh, through my mom and so thought she was tough thought she was mean as a kid and as a teenager but when I got to that place to where I experienced life when as soon as life started hitting me and I seen all the lessons my mom is trying to teach me and you better believe I turned around and I thanked my mom I praised my mom with my lips whereas probably I was cursing her under my breath as a rebellious teenager uh, running the streets and things and 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 even to this day when I just spend a time with the Lord in prayer and and just thinking about uh, maybe different scenarios or situations I I call or I text and I'm like you know ma I thank God for you like he couldn't have given me a better mom to prepare me for the life that we were going through and and prepare me for the times or the way things are now in society so God honors us but then when we have those moments of maturity and clarity, we are to in turn give praise to God to him personally, give that expression of thanks, of appreciation, of adoration, just like I did with my mom and like I do with my mom. But also when, uh, you know, when I talk about my mom to others, I'm like, you know, my mom was tough. She, she did this, she did that, you know, she, during the time she, whoopings were still allowed and she whooped my butt and when I got too big she started punching me and uh when I got too big for a belt but I turned that around because I'm like you know what I learned like life is tough this world is tough and so I thank God for my mom I thank God even though you know she did the best she could as best as she had an understanding and a mind to but it prepared me for a very tough world you know, my mom taught me. She put me through some hard things. We lived in some very harsh, hard situations. But I understand now. I understand a lot better. And so I, I give honor. I, I express my adoration and I share that adoration and try to help others to understand, you know, maybe you don't understand your parents. Maybe they got, maybe prayerfully they have your best interests in mind. But maybe you'll understand in the long term. Perhaps you don't understand our past or whatever, whatever it is. So anyway, hopefully you kind of got that. I know a little sidetracked, but just want to, you know, where praise and worship come from. Anyway, knowledge, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so God creates the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this is a way for Adam and Eve to express their free will. You have to have the option in order to truly express the full range of free will. The options don't have to be that many. There just have to be more than one option. And the op the other option has to, in this case, has to be 180 degrees opposite of what the only option would be, which was good. So in order to express love, you have to have 180 degree option. You have to have the opposite option available. And so God creates Adam and Eve, and from Adam, God causes a deep sleep 
to fall upon Adam, and it is from Adam's side that he creates uh, Eve. He removes one of Adam's ribs, which scientifically ribs are actually able to grow back. I've learned this over the last few years, which was very insightful in regards to why did God choose a rib? And it's because ribs can grow back. I was when when I learned that I was like, because you have so many people trying to discredit God's word, trying to discredit the Bible, trying to discredit what God has done. And God doesn't know what he's doing. Why would he take a rib? And and if he took a rib, shouldn't all men, you know, uh, be missing a rib? And it's, once you learn scientifically, and this is why true science, it, it, all it does is reveal why God did what he did and how he did what he did. Man, so, so mind-blowing, like, you got to be born again of water and spirit. You got to be filled with God's spirit in order for these things to have the true impact that God wants you to have. Check out that video if you have not. If you have questions, connect with me through the social media. But it's mind blowing what God does. And then as he, as he by his spirit helps you to understand, man, it's so impactful and so powerful. And so when we talk about God creating a woman from man, I really appreciated this um, this quote, and it's from a man named Matthew Henry. Uh, he lived before my time, and it says, woman was not made of his, talking about Adam's head, to top him, he was not, she was not made out of his feet, that's a typo, it's supposed to be his feet, out of his feet to be trampled upon by him but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm, under his arm to be held close by him. And the other, the other PowerPoint got cut off. And so one of the things that God says, he says, when a man and woman, when they get married, he says, it is for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. They become a new family unit. They extend the family unit. They extend the human family unit. So a man leaves, separates from his father and mother's household, and he begins a new household with his wife. And so there are some, in part, severing of ties, but there are some, it's like a if you were to take a piece off of a plant. I watched some of my family members with succulents and they'll take off some of the buds of a succulent and they'll replant it. And so you take the bud off of the plant, you replant it, you nurture it, you water it, and you grow a new plant. And that new plant is actually the offspring of the parent plant. And so and so that's what essentially that's what happens when a man and a woman get married they help extend the family, the human unit. And so uh, talking about the creation of Adam and Eve. So we get to the portion where the serpent tempts Eve to disobey God. And, and, we, find, and we find the being behind the serpent, or, uh, and this could take a deeper dive in regards to Lucifer and uh, who he was, what he was in a separate video, but just in portion, when you see that word seraphim or seraphim in Isaiah 6, 
um, there due to some of those root words for seraphim, it calls uh, some Jewish commentators say that the seraphim, uh, based off of the root words, were fiery serpent beings. These were, um, I know some people talk about reptilians and things like that. And, and so when it talks about the serpent, it doesn't necessarily say a snake, but it uses the word Nahash, a serpent. Um, you can think of, when we talk about families and kinds, you can think of things such as like a monitor lizard, these big serpent animals. And so even some commentators, Jewish commentators, say that this serpent and talking about, um, uh, say, snakes, you have some snakes that are much bigger. Talk about um, um, boa constrictors. You have, I uh, can't remember the name, but anacondas, things like that. Some commentators say snakes originally had limbs, legs, and so they were much perhaps like a monitor lizard or a anaconda a large serpent figure. And so it says that the serpent came to tempt Eve. And that's found in the third chapter of Genesis chapter one. This goes hand in hand with two lessons ago when we talked about the creation of Lucifer and uh, how, how God created the devil, but he did not create the devil to be the devil. He created Lucifer who became the devil and that word devil comes from a greek word diabolos which means somebody who is a slanderer somebody who slanders you um and then the other name or the other title lucifer goes by is satan and that comes from a hebrew word that means adversary so uh lucifer has these two titles and it's because of what he does he is an adversary to god not that he is anywhere near the same uh, power level because he is a created being and God he is God can't be overpowered by his creation I'll just put it simply like that and so he is the adversary to God in that regard uh, he tries to oppose all that God does but he is an adversary to mankind as well and and trying to stop us from fulfilling our purpose but then he is also a slanderer he's the one who goes around and whispers things into our ears and uh, tries to cause division, but he's also slandering us before God. And you see this in the book of Job chapters one and two specifically, where it says that Satan or the Satan, the adversary came before God and God brings up Job and um, asks Satan, you know, where, what have you been up to? And uh, Satan says, I've been going to and fro through the earth. And God brings up Job. He says, have you thought about my servant Job? And and Satan starts slandering him immediately. Well, he only serves you because of blah, 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 blah. You bless him and this and that. And and uh, he's like, I can't even get to him because you protecting him. And God says, well, go ahead. Do what you're going to. I'll let you test him, you know. And so, you know, God allows some harsh things to happen. Job loses his kids and loses his wealth. But you see Job's true love for God shine through in spite of losing all that he did, his children, his wealth and things like that. You see Job's heart shine through. It says that in all this, Job did not foolishly charge God. And so and so you see Satan slandering Job. And then, of course, 
we don't naturally pick it up typically, but then you see it in our mainstream media where God is being slandered, Jesus Christ, who is God made visible in human life, in a human life, um, in humanity. You see Jesus Christ being slandered. You see his church being slandered. You see Christians being slandered. You see people that say they're Christians give bad examples. They are not living by the power of God's spirit. And so you see this slandering of God. And so um, just a little bit of background on the serpent. But go check out that video a bit. That's a kind of a rabbit hole, I guess, that I just went on. So the serpent tempts Eve to disobey God. And that's found in Genesis chapter 3. And this is what it says. It says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. The word for cunning is like subtle, crafty, um, wise and crafty, you can kind of say. And it says, and he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? So here the serpent is planting seeds of doubt within the woman's mind. He's challenging what God says. He restates what God says, but he's also challenging what God says. Verse two, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. So we do see that whether Adam added this extra bit in order to protect his wife or she added it, that there's something added that God did not say. And there's speculation that uh, as we get further into this, that when Eve, that Eve touched the fruit, which we'll kind of deduce from the scriptures or we'll take away from the scriptures or pull away from it, and that she touched it and she didn't die. And that's what a bit more compelled her to eat from it. But let's continue on. It says, she said that God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Verse four, here's the serpent's response. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so this is Satan's tactic throughout time. When you look at history, you see it over and over. You see it with emperors, Roman emperors. You see it with people like Hitler. You see it with people like uh, Benito Mussolini and just different people throughout time, different cultures, different empires where we we get this kind of God complex. We develop it. And and for those who deny the supernatural, they don't really see the impact that the supernatural has on the desires and helping to cultivate and poke and prod those desires because this body is in cahoots essentially with the enemy unknowns to us. Because our bodies are in a condition of error, has this condition of sin within it, it creates this kind of veil, kind of a shroud between us and actively, easily connecting to the supernatural. Um, like I said, there are those who can more easily connect, and usually they're women. That's why you have psychics, witches, mediums. They tend to, women tend to connect more easily to the supernatural than men. Men, we typically have to be a lot more intentional, but there are men that uh, are that seem a bit more sensitive to the supernatural in some degrees more than others. And so we see 
Satan, we see the serpent, we see Lucifer through the serpent and his temptation of Eve, of the woman. And jumping down to verse 6, it says, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. It's it's kind of, you know, like for those of us who have been teens and maybe we're a bit older now or we see our children and we see uh, perhaps when we were teens and we had those friends that were like daring us to do things and, and trying to get us to do wrong things or daring us to talk to that dude or talk to that girl. And, you know, in the long run, it turned to be out, turned out to be a very bad thing or We've seen certain kids trying to get our kids to do certain things or our kids are trying to get other kids to do wrong things. So this is essentially you had one of God's supernatural children who was in rebellion, totally corrupted himself. And you think of like somebody who who took drugs and those drugs just totally alter their perception. And now that individual is trying to corrupt the rest of the family. And so this is what is going on here. And so it creates that desire, manipulates that desire, manipulates Eve's uh, sensitivity to the supernatural. And so this is what we're seeing here. It says, so she took some of its fruit. So remember, she's the one who said, God said, don't touch it. So she takes it. So she handles it. And then she eats it. And so if we're going to be, you know, break down specific, she took it. She doesn't die. And and this is, you know, coming from the way I kind of break down stuff in my mind. She takes the fruit. She doesn't die because whoever added that prohibition, either Adam or herself, she doesn't die. And then she eats it. So if I didn't touch it, I didn't die. Then everything else must be okay, too. So she eats it. And then it says she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, some people say he was right there next to her. Um, some people say um, that he wasn't in the vicinity, but he still shouldn't have eaten the fruit because he had the direct commandment. So she was, this is where you get the the division of she was in deception. She was deceived by the serpent, the supernatural being communicating with and through her, whether through the serpent itself or it's manifesting it. Lucifer's making himself visible as a serpent, or he is this seraphim, this fiery serpent such as in Isaiah 6 and then Adam just directly disobeys God then the eyes of both of them were opened so there's this portion of them and so the their eyes is talking about their perception it's open in a way that it wasn't open before and this is where they become what are just soulish beings and they start living purely by their natural five senses and they kind of lose this uh this direct connection and clear connection to the supernatural. And it says both in the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. So they sold fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. See, when God created them originally, they were naked, but there was no shame there. When you go and you read uh, Genesis chapter two, there was no shame. There was purity. It is the condition of sin within our human bodies that, creates that that's put us in this place of shamefulness and has corrupted our purity but then also as well Adam and Eve were by themselves and so it's just like a husband and wife that could be by themselves in such a state and it's not a shameful thing but in this place 
in this condition of sin, the condition of sin causes us to desire things and people that are not ours, which is why we have fornication, which is why we have single parents, and this is why we have uh, men that won't stick around because all they're doing is chasing that desire to express that physical desire, which in its most pure state, it would be between one man and one woman. But in this condition of sin, it just desires to express itself. We are very selfish creatures now due to this condition of sin. And it could be in that physical sense. It can be monetarily. How sin uh, expresses itself through us is going to be different. It can be different from child to child within a family. It can be uh, different from society to society, uh, culture to culture. Um, and so it says the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. And so what do they do? They try to cover themselves. And that's what we try to do. We try to uh, say, oh, God will accept me based on this. God loves me. And we try to cover our nakedness. We try to cover our sinful shame on our own. and as we're going to find out, that doesn't work. That That's not what God wants. You can't justify yourself. You can't say you're okay because we are in a state of rebellion. And only a perfect being, our perfect creator, can make the pathway for us to purify ourselves. That goes back to that breeding example in regards to you can't, you can't add things to a genome once you, once you breed something out. You can't breed anything back in unless you bring an outside source that is a that has that trait that you want and can uh, breathe that trait back into that genome, into that family of animals, of humans, whatever it is. Once you breed it out, you can't breed it back in. I mean, you you can't expect it to spontaneously pop back up, if I can put it that way. So if you take big cats and you breathe them down to little cats, you can't expect little cats to spontaneously start becoming big cats again. You have to find a way to breed those bigger uh, genes back into that cat family. And so uh, that's what happened with mankind. We got into a state of sin, of error, of rebellion. And so we have this genome of degradation, of genetic breakdown, of flaws, and there's no way for us to restore ourselves to that state of purity. And so this is where uh, the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus's disciples and ambassadors to the nations, as, as the Lord is sending him out to build congregations, called out believers unto himself, uh, unto Jesus. Paul is the ambassador of Jesus Christ to make disciples to Jesus Christ. And so this is where we get uh, the teaching from his Paul's letter to the Rome, the believers in Rome, and the fifth chapter of his letter, uh, in verse twelve it says, "Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men, because all sin." So what that means is that nature, that genetic degradation passed down. From Adam and Eve to all their offspring, from one, from them to their offspring, from their their offspring to their offspring. So, from their 
from them to their children, from their children to their grandchildren, from their grandchildren to their great-grandchildren, so on and so forth. There's that genetic trait that is passed down generation after generation all the way down to today. And so Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. And this is where the nature and condition of sin uh, enter into mankind, which breaks our relationship or communion with God. And that's what we just read, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. Because of one man, it, that scripture didn't even point to Eve, it pointed to Adam. Because Adam was the appointed person. He was the one responsible. Even if Eve got into sin and error, Adam, he should have been the one to make the right choice. And because of him, because biologically the seed uh, is in the man's biological system, keeping it godly, keeping it according to God's created intention and what he says, God uh, put the seed within man's biological system and he gave the eggs and placed that within the woman's biological system. And so the there's the genetics of both, but you can't get offspring without both and you can't get offspring without the seed. You can have an egg, but an unfertilized egg is not going to produce offspring. You have to have uh, this the specimen, the sperm, the seed to fertilize the egg. And so uh, by one man's sin, because of Adam's sin, not even because of Eve's sin, but because of Adam's sin, all the rest of mankind inherited a nature of sin. And so we have our communion, our relationship, our direct relationship with our creator is broken because now we are in a state of impurity and God is perfect and his perfect nature cannot come in contact with something that's impure unless there is some type of kind of barrier means to because uh just kind of think of it in regards to we've gone through COVID now and we had all these quarantine policies and we've seen how crazy of us how crazy some of us got with masking and staying away from loved ones and family members and and just how radical some of us got with that um that we didn't want to be around people because they were we didn't want to be infected and we wore masks in our cars and we wore masks in our homes and and all these different things and we did that in part some of us to protect ourselves some of us did it to protect family members perhaps that had weak or compromised immune systems and so in a perhaps similar way God limits his exposure to us because his exposure to us, his presence, his direct presence would totally burn up anything that is impure. And so God puts, uh, uses mediators to, to be able or, or mediation tactics in order to communicate with us. So he'll um, go through the means of a bush, something that's not directly his presence and, and things like that. And so he finds ways to try to maintain that relationship while he's working to get us back to that place of perfection. And so we become a sinner. We become a rebel. We become uh, degraded. We, be, we, we are in a state of error. We are not. It's like that the, the car example again or the computer, uh, the computer that has a virus or a phone that has a virus and it's not working the tablet that that's not working the way 
we desire it to, or perhaps we're in a country where we still use uh, animals for agriculture, and perhaps we have an animal that has uh, a deformity and it can't perform the way it's it should typically, or perhaps a car that it hasn't gotten a tune-up and uh, it's not running as good as it should. That state of error. We are not in the pristine state that we should be, that we were created to be. And so we become, we, we are in a state of error. We are a sinner. That's the concept behind being a sinner. We are not in the state that we should be. We are in, in an impure and rebellious state. But our creator, he, he works on our behalf, his behalf and our behalf to, to mend and to fix that relationship. And so sin affects the soul, it affects the body, and it affects our spirit. And so with the soul, what we're talking about when it comes to soul, specifically uh, when we're talking about the New Testament words that God inspires his messengers to write through, it's interesting. The word for soul is actually suche, which uh, from the Greek is where we get the word psyche, and we also get the word psychology. And so you can see it says soul is the mind and the will and the emotions, and it's ruled by sensual passions and desires. So your soul technically in the most specific strategic sense is dealing with your mind because psychology, your mind, your will, your emotions are all found within your brain, all found. Uh, this, this is who you are, your brain on a very natural level. Your brain is who you are. That is where you get the word for soul from. It is your physical control center. And so our minds, it is, it gets its input from our senses. And so um, now our mind is ruled not by, it doesn't get its direct input from God's spirit. It gets its input from our, our degraded human body and senses. So our emotions are messed up, our way of thinking is messed up, and our desires are all twisted. And, and we can just see this in our different societies. I'm here in America. I see this just playing out so uh, drastically in, in what is being normalized in our society. And so the soul, the mind, the will, emotions are ruled by sensual passions and desires. The body is now, our bodies due to sin are now subject to pain, disease, death, and decay. From the moment that we are born, we are headed uphill to head to our peak, head back downhill to death. And and if we're looking at it in a straight line, you're born to die. Um, and that's because of the nature of sin. When we're looking at this from what God says, uh, when we're getting our information from God, and this is, and as I said in the beginning of this video, this is just informational. This is the informational portion. You want to have your own personal experience, initial experience, but then your continued relational experience with Jesus Christ, our creator in Jesus Christ, both individually and within the church that he wants you to be a part of. You can't make it into the kingdom of God without being a part of his church. Your pinky can't survive on its own. None of your body parts can survive on its own. It needs to be connected to the body. It needs to be connected to the whole center. It needs to be connected to the neurons that run through 
uh, that are in your brain and the and the senses and the um what am I thinking of? Just the uh, the sensory portions that run from your hands and your fingers to your brain and the it has to be every part has to be connected to the body to survive. If it gets cut off, it's gonna die. So you have to be connected to the church, which is God's body, his hands, his feet, his his that's the way he interacts with the world. And so then our spirit was separated from God. And so kind of like I said earlier, if I remove the plug of my computer from the power outlet, it's going to die. It's disconnected. And so at the core of who we are, we are a spirit that our spirit is meant to be directly connected to God's spirit, just like my computer needs to be directly connected to the power source, the power outlet in order to have life. My computer is going to die. And in the state that we're in right now, we're we're kind of like, I have an iPhone. I'm a big, I, I like Apple. And when it gets down to like 20%, it gets in the state of uh, saving the battery. And so a lot of its functions are limited once it's in like battery saving mode. And where that's how we are. We are in battery saving mode. A lot of our functions are degraded because we are not directly connected to our power source. And so we have to be directly connected to our power source, which is when is when God comes and dwells, lives within us, and his spirit is connected and empowering our spirit, which then empowers us to live above, uh, to learn to live above the nature and the, the desires of our sinful human nature. And we learn how to live by our spiritual nature, our supernatural nature, instead of our just our human desires. And so our spirit is separated from God and it is in union with Satan. We now become the offspring of Satan um, by way of our nature, our condition. He was the original rebel, the original sinner, the original, the one who was originally in error. And then he got mankind to do the same. And so if you see a picture of my youngest son, he is a spitting image of me outwardly. He has my wife's demeanor. And so he is he is both of our son. He is our offspring in, in that similar vein because of our erroneous condition, our degraded condition that we inherited through Adam and Eve because they listened to Satan, listened to Lucifer instead of to God. Now we are his offspring. And so death to when God said to Adam in that day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Death, you can think of it as like this. Death is disconnection from God. Life is being directly connected to God. My computer will die if I disconnect it from the power source. My computer will come alive when I connect it to the power source. Of course, as long as the power source is working, but let's assume, of course, that it's always working. Just as God is always present, God is always active. If we are connected to God, we are connected to life. And and that has bigger implications. You can check out my video on the kingdom of God. I will link that down below as well. And so with all that said, I want to ask, what do you think about that? Is any of this new to you? 
Um, have you had any encounters supernaturally? Perhaps maybe things that you thought were God. You're trying to figure out if it was God. Because remember, Lucifer, Satan is a supernatural being. And he has one third of heaven's angels that rebelled with him. And yet God has his angels as well. But what are your thoughts? What are your comments? Leave them down below. In the next video, we will talk about the outcome of that rebellion of sin and what God is doing, has done and is doing and is going to do to reconnect us to himself. And until the next video, God bless you in Jesus name.